I'm so glad that you came to worship with us, you got to witness the baby dedication, and I'm also glad that you're here as we dive into the book of Mark. We are continuing in the series called Tethered, and in this series, our heart has been to dive deeply into Jesus. If you've been walking with us, you realize that we are going so slow through this series so that we can literally go verse by verse by verse to dive deeply into who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and actually take time to see how the disciples are wrestling who Jesus is personally to them as they figure out what it looks like to follow him. And that is good for us because as followers of Christ, we always want to be growing in our knowledge of Jesus so that we can learn to follow him even better. So through this series, we have seen incredible acts of Jesus. I mean, he has healed tons of people already. He has set tons of people free. He's cast out demons. He's walked on water. He's fed thousands of people from just, you know, a few fish and bread. I mean, what we're watching is it's like this action-packed movie because Mark is heavy on the action. And like any really good action movie, there's often not a lot of dialogue, right? And interestingly enough, we see that in Mark. Compared to all the other Gospels, Mark has the least amount of actual teaching moments from Jesus. So you think about Matthew, it's got the Sermon on the Mount. Luke is full of parables. John, there's just like whole sections where Jesus is just specifically teaching and talking, specifically during the Last Supper. But in Mark, there's only a few places where we see intense teaching from Jesus. And so when we do see it, it's because it's extremely important. And that is where we are today in one of those teaching moments for Jesus. And what we're going to see today is so interesting because Jesus is going to share something that just completely rocks the world of the disciples. They can't even fathom or understand what he is saying. But it's so powerful for them because if they grip it at a heart level, it's going to change their lives and if we would understand what Jesus is about to share, it would also revolutionize our relationships with God. And so that is what we're talking about. What we're looking at today is incredibly important. And I'm so excited to share with you. I've been studying all week. I'm excited. Are you guys with me? Okay, let's pray. We'll dive into God's word. Our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I am excited, God, because you have gripped my heart with the truth of the gospel, and you're more, um, you're, you're more teaching me more and more about who you are, and I thank you for that. God, I pray that every single person in this room, that they too, their hearts would just be gripped by the goodness of you and what you've done, and that it would become so personal to them. And Father, I just humbly come before you because I know that if it's just me talking, it's just my words. No one's life is going to be touched or transformed. It's only your spirit that does that. So, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, work in every single heart here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 14. But before we do, I want to lay a little context for what we're walking into, and I want to do it by asking you a simple question. Have you ever walked into a room only to immediately realize that the people that were there before you were fighting? Have you, have you ever done that? You walk in and then you're like, ooh, <laughs> this feels heavy. It's kind of intense. It's a little bit awkward. 
I want you to remember that feeling because that's what it would be like to step into the conversation that we are stepping into this morning. Jesus is having this intense conversation with the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the religious leaders of the day. And what makes this point so awkward is that just before where we step in today, Jesus has just told these religious elite, kind of like the superstars of Judaism, that you guys are supposed to be experts in the law, but you know nothing. Everything you're doing is completely worthless. And he's saying it right to their face. He's saying, you guys are hypocrites because your hearts are not with the Lord. And so he's just dropped that bomb. And then now we're stepping in. It's like, okay, what's going on here? Let's see what else he says. Chapter 7, verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. He's saying, you've got to get what I'm saying to you. Verse 15. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, I want to just read that one section again because this is really huge. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So now, when Jesus says that, this would have like blown the minds of the disciples. They would not have even had a context or an understanding. When he says that, people have been like, what? That makes absolutely no sense. But looking around at all of your faces, I'm thinking it's not blowing your socks off. So we have to do a little context. What were they hearing in first century Palestine that we do not understand right now? And in order to do that, we need to look at the history of our spiritual ancestors. So hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, God gave his people certain laws which included animals that were clean and unclean, animals that they could eat and animals that they could not eat. And you can read about this multiple places in the Old Testament, but Leviticus 11 is a great place to go. Now, because of time, I'm not going to read that chapter for you. But what it says in that chapter is God distinguishes between what is clean and what is unclean. He distinguishes between, between animals with hooved feet or cloven feet. He distinguishes between animals that eat certain ways. He distinguishes between birds. He talks about fish. He talks about insects. And what he also says is that if you are to eat one of these animals or even touch them, you would be unclean. Now, that idea of unclean is what Jesus is talking about in Mark 7 when he says defiled. So defiled is like unclean. Now, if a person eats or touches something that is unclean, they themselves become unclean, meaning that they were not able to enter into the place of uh, community worship for a certain period of time. It was like if they ate something that made themselves unclean, there was this block between them and God and between the people of God for a certain period of time. So the thinking then was to be clean before the Lord meant that I shouldn't eat anything that was unclean. So when Jesus goes and says that what goes into the body cannot defile you. It cannot make you clean, but only what comes out of the body is what defiles you. That would be like the craziest thought because for so long they've only thought what makes me unclean is what goes into my body. Now in life group this past week, 
we were talking about this upcoming message and a guy in my group asked a great question. He, his question was, why did God not want them to eat certain animals? Why was this animal okay and that animal not okay? It's a great question. Some of you may be thinking that yourself. So there are a few possibilities. Some scholars would point to that the clean animals were like a, a healthier option. So it was like a dietary issue that God's pe- God wanted his people to be healthy. Another idea is that some of the unclean animals were used in like, you know, pagan worship services or idolatry. And God wanted his people to have nothing to do with that. Some people talk about how they were cleaning the animals. And so it's kind of this hygiene type of idea. And all of those, I think, are secondary benefits, but most scholars would agree that the number one reason why God has these food laws is that God was creating a people for himself that would be separate and distinct from all the other people around them. And one of the ways that that difference was to be expressed was through the food that they ate. So when you're reading the Old Testament, what you really need to understand is it's all about how God is creating this one people for himself to be holy. So when I, when I was growing up, when I thought of that word holy, you know, I thought of like, ah, like up in heaven type thing, like, like far away or perfection. What the word holy means is it means separate or distinct from or different. So the food laws were really a tangible symbol that God's people would be holy and separate and different from the world that was around them. It's almost like every time they ate, it was an object lesson to remind them that we are not like the other people around us based on what we're eating. It was a reminder that we belong to the Lord. Leviticus 20, 25 through 26 states it like this. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. Listen, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated. There's that idea again. I've separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So here, God is saying that he is holy, meaning separate, distinct, different from all sin, from all darkness. And so too, he wants to have his people be separate from all sin, all darkness, separate and different from all the things of the earth. And this is really important for us to understand because it's like how Eric was saying last week, that God's commands are there to give us a picture into God's heart. And so in the same way, it's really not about animals. It's really about that God was creating a people for himself to be holy, to be special and distinct. And this is the key to understanding Jesus's words in Mark 7. So let's go back to Jesus's day. You've got the Pharisees, the disciples, all the Jewish people of that time. They knew that we are called to be holy, separate from the world, And one of the ways that that holiness was determined was through the foods that they would eat or not eat. It's what Jewish people still do today when they're talking about kosher foods. The word kosher means fit or proper. So it's fit or proper going along with the law. That's what they're doing. They're still separating themselves from the world based on what they eat. Now, just put yourself in the shoes of the Pharisees and the scribes. Imagine for your entire life, 
up to this point, however old you are, you always believed that what makes you unclean is what you eat and what goes inside your body. Imagine that was your only thought. Now also imagine that that's what your parents thought their entire lives and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents and also their parents. Everyone thought this, and not only them, but all your friends and everyone else that you've ever known in your community always thought the same thing, and now all of a sudden you have Jesus, and he's saying, no, it's not what comes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. That is what he is saying. It would have been so crazy for them. They would not have even had like a paradigm for this. Like, how does this even work? So let's go back to Mark chapter 7, verse 17. What happens? And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Obviously, they asked him because they had no idea what he was talking about. This doesn't even make sense what you're saying. And then going on, he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Are you not grasping the heart of what I'm saying? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? In verse 19, he explains it. Since... It enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. This is Jesus. He is now explaining to them what this looks like. But what is he saying? Jesus is saying, Food. What does food do? It goes in your mouth, goes down your throat, goes through your intestinal tract, and into the toilet, right? That's all food does. But what it doesn't do is it does not touch your heart. So if you have your Bible open, like this would be an awesome time to circle, underline, highlight heart because this is the key to the whole passage. It's your heart. And what is Jesus talking about when he says heart? He's not talking about, you know, aorta and, and ventricles and all that, that pumping blood. When scripture talks about heart, it's kind of like the very, the, the essence of who we are as humans. It's like, like the seat of our emotions and um, our desires. It's, it's the, our devotions. Like that's what he's talking about when he says heart. Food goes in your body, through your body, out of your body, but it doesn't touch your heart, the very essence, the center of who you are. And that is where your problem is. That is where your problem is. God has always been and is now concerned about our hearts. Look at a few of these passages from the Old Testament. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, again, we're back under the law, but still you see God's desire for the heart. This section would be so important to Jewish people, really defines their faith. And it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of that source, the essence of who you are, and with all your soul and with all your might, God is after our hearts. 1 Samuel 16, 7. I think this is just so clear. I love this. It says, For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Us human beings, we can, you know, see, we see flesh. We see works that people are doing. We see good things that people do, bad things people do. But God, like, laser beam through all of that. He just cuts through it to right into our hearts. What is going on inside of your heart? Where are you? What is happening inside here? And do you remember like why we got into this awkward conversation in the first place? It was all about the Pharisees' hearts. There was a problem with their hearts. If you're still in Mark 7, just go back a few verses. I mean, Eric preached on this last week. But in chapter 7, verse 6, 
And Jesus, you know, he's calling these people hypocrites, and he speaks what Isaiah the prophet said. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's like what's coming out of your lips is good. You're saying that you, you want to follow God. You're doing everything. You're checking the boxes, but your hearts are not with me. God desires that our hearts are his. And when Jesus says, it's not about what you eat, it's not about what you touch that defiles you, but what comes out of your heart, he's saying your heart is the problem. We all have heart problems. That's what's going on. And we have to get this, and I just even made a slide for it, but the problem is not out there. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. That is what I want every single person to get this morning. The problem is not out there, but in here. Think about the Pharisees. Like, they didn't eat wrong things. They didn't touch wrong things. They made sure to wash very specifically, and they even washed all their, their dishes and their pans to make sure that there was no chance that they could possibly even maybe get contaminated by something that was unclean. They did everything like that. And they also were way better rule followers than you or I will ever be. They checked the boxes, but yet they were not approved by God. Why? Because their hearts were cold and hard as a rock. That's what it was. The heart is the problem. And right here, Jesus makes purity of heart before the Lord the new standard of holiness. So if you want to be right with the Lord, it's not based on your obedience to the law. Now it's based on purity of heart. And Jesus, he does this all the time through the Gospels. You know, there's a lot of times there's like, you've heard it said here, which is the law. But I tell you, Jesus always goes deeper to the root of the problem, which is our heart. Just to give you an example, I was thinking about Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is talking and he says, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, which is found under the law. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see what he's saying? He's saying, hey, this was the law, but the problem is your heart. We need to go to your heart. But this is tough. It's really tough to know that purity of heart is what we need before the Lord because our hearts can get so messed up and so easily messed up all the time. Jesus gives a list of all these things that can come out of our heart. Look back at verse uh, 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So let's leave that up for there for a second. How many people uh, see maybe at least one thing in there that they've struggled with at some point in their life? Okay, most of the hand. We got some perfect people, but most of us, most of us have struggled in some way. Let me ask a deeper question. When you look at that list, are there things that you know that you are right now struggling with? My hand is up in the air. There's probably more than one that the Lord is working with me on. And so, if you're like me, we have to figure out how to, how do we get this stuff out of our lives? How do we do it? And people have tried lots of different ways. I heard a story about a man 
who was struggling with what that list would call sensuality. This man was struggling with watching pornography on his laptop. What he decided to do was go out to his field, he put his laptop on a T-post, and he shot it with a 12-gauge. Like, that's the reality. It's a true story. That's what he did. Now, I understand that he so desperately wanted to get that stuff out of his life. But the problem is the, the heart, right? And so don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that it's not good to put distance between ourselves and whatever we're tempted by. That is wise. That is great. But if we stop there, we have not gone far enough. We have not gone far enough. Um, I was talking with a, a friend of mine this week who feels convicted about drinking too many beers. And he was, he was saying, you know, I was sitting there, I had these other beers in this cooler, and I had this thought that I'm just take the beer, chuck it up in the air, blow it away with my shotgun. You know, two shotgun stories. This is Nebraska, people, right? Two shotgun stories. But I love what he said is, he said to me, he's like, I didn't do it. And to quote him, he said, I didn't do it because they make new ones every day. They make new ones every day. He understood that the problem is not necessarily the can that's filled with beer, and it's really the desire to drink way too many that puts him in a place that he doesn't want to go that's unhealthy for him or for other people, right? So he was saying, I get it. I know the problem is inside my heart. Now again, don't hear me wrong. It's super good. There's lots of wisdom to separate yourself from whatever you're tempted by. If you're struggling with alcohol, probably don't go hang out in a bar. If you're struggling with pornography, don't put yourself in a place where it's so easily accessible and where you can see it all the time, right? But if you only stop there, you haven't gone far enough. You haven't gone far enough because the problem is inside of our hearts. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And we simply cannot fix heart-level issues on our own. There's nothing that we can do on the outside that fixes the inside. The only one who can work on that level is the one who gave us our hearts in the first place. The only one that can fix what's going on inside, the only one that can work from the inside out is God. And thankfully... That has been his desire and his plan for such a long time. For about 600 years before Jesus walked on the earth, somewhere around 580 years before Jesus walked on the earth, there was a man by the name of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was a prophet for the Lord, meant he spoke the words of the Lord. And in Ezekiel uh, chapter 36 he just has an awesome line about what God's ultimate desire is to do. So let's put that on the screen. This is Ezekiel, prophet for the Lord, speaking the words of the Lord about what God would do. And he says, I will give them, or I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We get a new heart that God would put his spirit in us and move us to follow him. And that plan was finally realized through the perfect life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. God's answer to our heart problems, give them a new heart. 
That's what God is saying, and he's the only one that can do that. And this heart change happens not because of our good works or any of the things that we think are really great. It only happens because of God's love and his mercy. And it only happens through us coming to Jesus, confessing that we are sinners, that we've blown it, we've messed up completely, and then choosing to repent of that and move towards Jesus, just trusting that I cannot say myself, only Jesus can save myself. That is the only way that this happens. He's the only one that can purify us from all sin and make us new from the inside out. And so as I close today, I just want to speak to two kinds of people. First of all, I want to speak to people who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then I also want to speak to people who have not trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. First of all, let's talk to those who may be in this room who have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to be incredibly clear and upfront with you. Without Jesus, you have absolutely no hope of making it to heaven. No hope of being a right relationship with God because the only way to get there is to have your heart be made new, to have a new heart, to become a new creation. And that is something that we cannot do on our own. We can't do enough good things on the outside to change the inside. It is only through Jesus and really trusting in him and recognizing all he has done and choosing to surrender our lives to him that we can be made new on the inside. Like think about the Pharisees. They were trying to be good enough. You know, like I said before, I'm sure they were way better rule followers than any of us in this room could ever be. But yet their hearts were completely messed up inside. There's nothing that we can do on the outside to fix the inside. We need God to change us from the inside out. And so if you haven't received Jesus, I just want to be clear, please do that today. God, in his great mercy and his great love for you, has made a way for you to be in right relationship with him and have eternity in heaven, and it only comes through Jesus. So accept that invitation. Talk to me. Talk to one of our staff. Love for you to do that today. Secondly, for those of you who have accepted Christ, what I want to say to you in this room is that Jesus wants to do more in your life more cleansing, more healing, more forming you into the image of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for one week or if you've been a Christian for 50 years or more. Jesus wants to work in you right now. And so I want to give you three challenges this week that all come from Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. This is David, and Scripture says that he was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect at all, but he had a heart to go after God. And what he says is, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And I just have three quick challenges from that passage of Scripture. Challenge number one is this. Have a heart checkup with God this week. Have a heart checkup with God this week. And what I mean by that is like that scripture was saying, is go to him and just say, God, will you search me? Reveal to my own eyes what is going on inside of my heart. I would even encourage you, go back to Mark 7, verse 21. Look at that list and just say, God, is there anything in here that you want to do in me? And there might be, you know, big things that pop out, 
But sometimes when I've done this, it's just like I have this thought that I, I wasn't really thinking before. So like in that list, there's envy, you know, maybe God has revealed to me at different times. You know what, Tony, you're actually struggling with being envious of someone or someone's title or what they're doing. And so there may be things that the Holy Spirit might bring up in your heart if you are open to him. So the first one is have a heart checkup. Get alone with God. Ask. The second one is own the results. And what I mean by that is that sometimes I get convicted by Jesus or I think, ooh, that's probably not right or something God wants to do and I just kind of, you know, push it away. I just kind of shove it under the rug and I don't want to deal with it. One, maybe because I don't really want to think about it or two, because I don't want to stop. Because I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop doing it. And so I just like say, you know what, I'm going to deal with that and I'm just going to keep going along like everything is great. Own the results. If you're with God and something pops up in your heart that, you know what, I know that the Lord wants to work in this area. Okay, I'm going to own it, which means that, yes, it's you're going to say, yes, God, like, I confess that to you. I know that that's not right. I repent of that. I surrender that to you. And then step three, ask for his help. Um, ask him to help you follow his plan. And I think that this is so key because oftentimes one and two we can do, you know, like, I see that there's a problem. I'm going to own it. That's my problem. But we don't always like ask God to help. We have access to the supernatural, awesome, all-powerful creator God, and we don't really ask him to heal what's broken inside of our hearts. And I want you to do that. You know, it's like sometimes we realize there's a problem, and so that our strategy is to not do that anymore. <laughs> our strategy is to fix that. And we need to go to God. He's given us the power of his spirit inside of us to move us to follow his decrees and to be careful to keep his laws. And so we need to say, okay, I need to ask the all-powerful supernatural God to come into my life, to heal my heart, and to lead me in the way everlasting, like that verse says. And even lead me. You know, that could be a couple things. It could be like diving into the word and just taking the truths of Scripture because often God can heal us by taking Scripture into our heart and transforms the way that we think. The way that we, uh, think. Sometimes God heals us through his people. And so if you're like, I know that there's this big struggle in my life. I can't do it on my own. I got to be honest with someone. Like depend on the Holy Spirit to lead you into that relationship, to be honest about what's going on in your life. Like God wants to work in our lives. He's given us everything that we need for godliness and holiness, like scripture says, in his spirit. That's where we need to go. So ask him to work in your life and give you the power to follow in his will for you. You know, just wrapping up, every single one of us, we have heart problems in this room. We all do. You know, what, what are we going to do about it? It's only Jesus who can heal us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I just thank you that uh, you have done for us what we can never do. Through Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection, you have given us a new heart if we've trusted in you. We are made new from the inside out, and we could never, ever do that. And God, I just pray for people if they've never made that decision, they would today. God, just put it on their heart just to come before you and do that. Lord, I also pray for all of us who have made that decision, but yet we still struggle with the reality of there's something broken inside of me and how do I get past that? I just pray for our church, Lord. I pray that we'd be people that come before you, that ask you to reveal what's going on in us, that we would own it and that we would depend on your power to lead us 
in the way everlasting to transform us. God, I'm thankful that if we are in Christ, um, we are right with you on our worst day or our best day. But Lord, I also know that you want to form our lives into who Jesus is and how he lived and how he loved. And I pray that you'd help us to do that, Lord. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.